you know, we all realize, I think the market is irrational in the short term. Over the long term, the decisions we make from a strategic standpoint will help the business and hopefully uh, shareholders can see the, um, the long term value in the company. We really have to explain to them the short term blips and get them comfortable that the long term picture. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data, at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. On to the show today, I'm thrilled to welcome Shovik Roy, Chief Financial Officer at VersaPay, a publicly listed fintech company that has been acclaimed as one of the top three global leaders in the AR automation space by IDC, a top-tier independent research firm in technology. Shovik has over 17 years of experience as a finance leader, with extensive knowledge in financial reporting, financial planning and analysis, investor relations, and regulatory compliance across multiple industries. At VersaPay, he is responsible for the company's finance and accounting function, investor relations, budgeting, strategy execution, and helping the executive team create customer, employee, and shareholder value. Prior to joining VersaPay, Shovik held senior finance positions at various global organizations, including Nike, Home Depot, and most recently, FreshBooks, an established Canadian fintech company. Shovik holds an honors BBA from Wilfrid Laurier University and is a CPA CA. And so without further ado, here's Shovik Roy, CFO at VersaPay. Hey, Shovik, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. Uh, We've got lots to cover, so let's dive right in. You started your career at EY, and then from there, you've been in various finance roles within retailers, including the Home Depot and Nike to automotive companies like Linamar, before taking the plunge into tech as the director of finance at FreshBooks. Now, you're the CFO at VersaPay. So talk to me about your journey into tech and how it all started for you. Hey, Shalom. Uh, again, firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, I know we've been working on uh, getting together for a while, so I appreciate the opportunity. But yeah, so about my journey, I mean, I guess it's going to date me a little bit. But basically, I came out of school just when the uh, dot-com bubble was bursting in the early 2000s. So I was not really looking for tech at that point, And, you know, I really just ended up at the traditional uh, large public companies that you just mentioned over the next uh, you know dozen years or so. It wasn't really until probably the early 2010s, I would say, when I just started noticing um, you know all you know what was happening around me. All these tech companies had sprung up again um, after the after the bubble had burst, and Google and Apple had you know essentially taken over the world. And um, not surprisingly, it became obvious that tech was the future of our economy. And so I just wanted to be part of that future. And, uh, you know, sometimes luck plays a, a part. And, um, you know, I just got recruited by a headhunter about a company um, called FreshBooks, which, uh, you know, I had had my eyes on actually um, for some time. So, you know, a little bit about FreshBooks. I mean, it's essentially a, a startup on steroids. It was, you know, it's, it had been around for a number of years. It was well capitalized and it was building a product that I, that I could understand, which is cloud accounting software. 
And, uh, you know, from, from everything I could tell from, from the outside, it was a very, very cool culture. So, you know, that's kind of how I ended up in tech initially. That's cool. And so now you're at VersaPay. So tell me a little bit more about what VersaPay is, what the company does, and what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Um, VersaPay is essentially a, a cloud-based, uh, customer-centric, as we like to say, customer-centric uh, accounts receivable automation solution. And um, I guess basically what I mean by this is, I mean, listen, there's no question automation of the invoice to cash process can save you money in, in many ways, right? So labor, paper, postage, getting paid faster, all those kinds of things. We do all of those things and the payback um, or, you know, return on investment on, on those and something like that is, I would say, probably something like two to three months. Um, but our solution is a little bit different than most because I think, why we consider it customer centric is because our solution gives a greater customer experience. And, you know, we know one of our clients actually said that, um, you know, customers have thanked them because, um, because of this change, the, the customer portal is very intuitive and it's very easy to use. Um, you know, their customers can access their account and check their balances anytime, check how many credit notes or credit balances they have. They can communicate with the vendor. So all these kinds of things are, you know, in some respects could be considered a, ge- a revenue generating tool because, you know, if you're in a business uh, where you're selling, uh, let's say a commodity type product and the only way to compete is on price, we kind of have now, you know, something else to compete on, which is, you know, cust- excellent customer service or experience. So, um, you know, that's how we kind of differentiate ourselves. Um, you know, some companies are even using it. We actually heard from one of our, one of our largest clients, um, a multi-billion dollar company, um, they're actually using it even as a, as an employee development or retention strategy. Um, you know, th- their thinking is that millennials these days, they don't, they don't really want mundane jobs, um, you know, and the solution actually gives them some interesting or meaningful work to do. It actually frees up their yeah. time to do something that's a little bit more analytical. So they're even using it from that respect as well. It's a very nascent space still. Uh, there's only like a few players still in the um, accounts receivable automation space. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about VersaPay. Yeah, so so help me understand that space a little bit. I'm assuming this is mostly for companies that have that rely heavily on um, accounts receivable. Like they may um, have uh, work that gets performed and uh, the the payment comes afterward. Like like these are not necessarily um, swipe your credit card and off you go types of business models. Um, uh, walk me through kind of like the kinds of businesses maybe that that use something like VersaPay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you hit on the head. So it wouldn't be necessarily a solution for a, a retail business because, as you said, you're you're getting paid um, on the spot um, with a point of sale terminal. But it's really any other large enterprise. Um, we focus on the mid, mid to large enterprise um, space. That's anywhere from companies making, let's say, 50 million in revenue to upwards of billions of dollars in revenue. Um, and it's really vertical agnostic. Um, we, you know, like we specialize, I wouldn't say we specialize, but we just have a lot of success, particularly in commercial realty, uh, wholesale distribution, media and technology, those particularly, but it's really anyone who sells on, on account, um, so it is, you know, for B2B side of things, as opposed to B2C, this is uh, a solution that's really meant for that particular um, type of company. 
Yeah. Which, which is a nice segue into what I wanted to ask you next about, which is, um, you know, you've worked across various industries, including retail, consumer brands, and automotive, like we um, chatted about. Uh, what would you say or identify as specific challenges and opportunities for the finance role within tech companies specifically now that you've seen it across other um, industries as well? You know, I, I think one of the main challenges right now, um, and it's probably experienced in various uh, various facets of a tech startup, but it's really, you know, dealing with the high demand um, uh, and really low supply when it comes to talent. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm struggling that, with that, you know, every day to keep people motivated and keep them keep them engaged in the company because there's always um, new and exciting uh, companies popping up and um, they can get really, um, I guess, attracted to, to the newest, shiniest thing. So just keeping them engaged and keeping them, um, keeping, keeping them uh, involved in the business uh, is, is always a challenge. Um, and uh, really tech is just changing so fast all the time. So, you know, industries, other industries are, are you know, are, are maybe a little bit more slower moving. Um, but with, with our industry, it's, it's just keeping up with the new innovation all the time. It's very expensive and it requires a lot of, a uh, lot of effort to do so. Uh, but at the, at the same token, I think there's a lot of opportunities for finance roles. Uh, you know, we, I think we bring a lot of much needed, um, guide rails or, or even I know the word policy is not really liked by a lot of founders and small companies, but really policies are, you know, somewhat, um, you know, are actually very important in a, in a somewhat chaotic environment. So I think we can bring that sort of discipline uh, to an organization. Uh, we can really make a difference when it comes to fundraising and cash management. I think, you know, cash is king, as they say, and we're, uh, you know, typically pretty good at that side of the stuff. Um and even decision making, right? So we we can be. Uh, I think uh, most finance folks or CFOs or senior finance people are looked upon by the CEO as they're kind of their right hand man to kind of bounce off ideas and, and and you know discuss strategy. So I think we can really influence a business, especially in, in the early days of a startup. Uh, you know, we can be thought of as a much needed resource. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, you can make the argument that even though not a lot of people like the word policies, uh, it's almost a necessary evil to start scaling uh, a startup and start scaling an organization. Absolutely. Switching gears now to your time at FreshBooks, you spent three years there, a company that serves the SMB market. Now at VersaPay, your end customers are B2B enterprise customers. What are some of the biggest changes in the KPIs that were particularly important for an SMB software company, which are not as relevant for a company serving enterprise customers and vice versa? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for the most part, where SMBs probably differ from um, from our side, which is more enterprise level customers, is the longer sales cycles. It just takes a lot longer. Um, you know, we 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 could be in a cycle that's anywhere from you know three months to over a year in some cases, just because um, the cost is more much more substantial when you're selling to an enterprise level customer, um, and then the implementation could be a lot longer too. Uh, for 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 smaller for smaller um, SMB type of uh, products, it could be like a 995 sign up. So very little um, you know friction for customers to at least try a product. Um, but you know ours our solution costs uh, you know upwards of 
you know, almost let's say hundred thousand uh, dollars plus, right, a, a year. So um, a little bit more um, significant uh, investment. Um, so that's definitely a uh, something to something to consider. Churn is also not such a big problem uh, in the enterprise market, at least for us for now. Um, just because, like I said, it, because it, these customers or these companies are investing so much time and money into it, um, and and especially because it works, uh, the churn uh, the churn number is not really a, a very relevant metric at this point for us, whether it's um, logo churn or revenue churn. So um, we still track it, but it's not that big of a deal for us right now. Um, and the other big difference is obviously we could do uh, much more analysis, uh, much more deeper analysis at a company specific level. When you're dealing with SMBs and you have hundreds of thousands of customers, they're just basically numbers, and you kind of you kind of uh, look at, at companies as as cohorts, and and they're just a uh, an average of those cohorts as opposed to we do analysis at a much more specific uh, company level in the enterprise market. Right. So um, for you specifically, was it challenging to kind of recalibrate yourself, you know, after you're immersed in kind of SMB world for, for the time you were at FreshBooks to kind of recalibrate some of the your thinking and your kind of frameworks for how you thought about metrics and KPIs from the SMB world to now the enterprise world? Like you talked about the, the sales cycle being a lot longer um, one of the derivatives of that is kind of your LTV to CAC calculations. And so you're used to certain kind of benchmarks that you uh, become used to in the SMB world. What, what Was that um, challenging for you to kind of recalibrate some of those um, benchmarks and metrics? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It, it did um, require some some adjustment on my part to understand why measuring those particular KPIs didn't make sense. Um, but it didn't take long for me to adjust. And it's also because of, of where we are, especially in our, in our company's life cycle. FreshBooks had been around for, you know, at that point for over, over a dozen years or so. So they had tons and tons of data to actually measure against. First of all, I had, I had also been around for a long time, but they really did a pivot into a software company back in 2013 and didn't really launch their product um, in its current state until about 2015. And uh, 2017 is really when we... Uh, went into production, so we only have a very short, uh, short number of years of actual data to to measure LTV and, and CAC. So it's not really relevant right now. I can't say that it won't be relevant in a few years from now when we have more data. But I think it's just really more so of where we are as a company as opposed to you know enterprise versus SMB. For sure, that makes sense. Our last question here before we jump into our quick fire round, and that is. As the finance leader now of a publicly traded company, how do you balance short-term expectations of investors, i.e. quarterly earnings calls, um, with the long-term kind of strategic roadmap decisions? And and how does that all, um, being a public company, affect that? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. Um, We struggle with this a lot um, because I, I think, you know, we all realize I think the market is irrational in the short term. Um, but over the long, over the long term, um, the business, you know, can, uh, the, the, the decisions we make from a strategic standpoint, um, will help the business and hopefully, uh, shareholders can see and see the, um, the long-term value in the company. But really at that's, I guess that's part of my job and the CEO's job is when we're meeting with investors and talking to analysts, uh, on, on the quarterly calls, we really have to explain to them the short-term blips and get them comfortable that, um, 
you know, whatever's happening in the short term, there's still a longer term strategy in play. And so it's really explaining that story to them and getting them to understand, um, you know, the long term picture. Um, and it's really about, I guess, in, in a sense, uh, just communication and, and being able to communicate the longer term strategy um, in a way that they can understand and, and I guess giving them some sort of help uh, I use the term help loosely, but um, giving them some sort of indication on in how they should be modeling our, our longer term forecast for the company. And that's really, I guess when they come up with their forecast for our, for our revenues and, and, and effectively our, our share price targets, um, hopefully the, the market reacts uh, accordingly, but it, it is a challenge. And I think for me, it's, it's one of the biggest challenges that I've, I've had to, uh, overcome and I'm still learning as I go. So I, I by no means I'm, am I uh, great at it yet, but I'm getting better. And, and luckily I have a really good CEO who's been doing this for a number of years and, and I'm learning a lot from him and, and other folks who have helped me along the That's way. Awesome. So getting there. That's great. Yeah. Um, one, one follow, quick follow up on that is, uh, you know, you talked about um, kind of at private companies when you've got like VCs or, or investors or you've got, quarterly board meetings and things like that, they're not necessarily um, running their own models and, and kind of checking against your budgets or whatnot. So uh, whereas at a public company, you know, you may give some sort of guidance, but then every all the analysts are running their own models. So I would say there's more uh, scrutiny at, at that level. Um, and, and would you say that just um, you have, I guess, more regular uh communication with those types of investors and analysts, like apart from the quarterly earnings calls and, and check-ins? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. I think, I think, um, you know, when they're, when you're in a smaller private company, the board checks in on you once in a while, you kind of give them monthly updates, uh, maybe, or even, you know, quarterly meetings where they kind of look at more long-term pictures because I mean, their money is in there for the long haul, as opposed to, you know, taking their money out tomorrow based on anything that they don't like. Um, whereas I'm dealing with analysts, uh, I mean, I would say at least probably once a week, um, we have, um, you know, four or five analysts covering us now. So dealing with five of them, uh, regularly, especially, um, you know, around the quarter end time, um, gets more, more, um, more frequent. And then we, even for our size of company, we have actually some large investors who, who themselves actually um, contact me directly. So I have to make myself available for them because they've been long-term shareholders. And obviously we care, uh, we care about their money and care about their um, happiness as well. So um, just appeasing to everybody and, and giving, you know, again, I, I guess in a sense, giving everyone reassurance that, um, their money's in good hands and that their longer term, I guess, uh, picture of the company is still in line with our strategy. So yeah, it's a lot of, lo a lot of, a lot of time spent gotcha. doing that for sure. Uh, cool. Well, what I'd like to do now is uh, jump into our quick fire round and the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions. You'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right, let's do it. So what's your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related? The Backbone Podcast, of course, hosted by Shabon. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I did not pay you to say that, but... 
No, it, it really is. I mean, uh, you know, ever since I heard about you doing this, uh, it's been really interesting hearing about other finance folks like myself and how they're kind of built their careers. And it's just, I, I it's it's really interesting. The other podcast I listen to as well, uh, I like uh, a lot is um, How I Built This with uh, Guy Raz. Um, I find that also very interesting. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. You, uh, you learn a lot about the founding stories from that one and, and the kind of uh, uh, persistence of these entrepreneurs, which is always uh, reassuring to you. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite productivity hack? Box seems to be a really good collaborative tool for uh, uh, for me and my team. Um, you know, just uh, there's that new thing, Box Drive. I guess it's essentially kind of like uh, Dropbox. Uh, so we use it a lot to you know keep track of all these different versions of uh, documents and, and sharing documents and that kind of thing. So uh, I find that to be very helpful. Cool. Uh, what's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? I try to leave every night by cleaning up my desk because um, I like to come back in the morning and see my you know uh, just an uncluttered desk, just everything organized, so I can start my day fresh. And my mind is uh, when I see a clean desk, my mind feels a little bit <laughs> at ease. <laughs> And uh, I also end up just drinking my uh, cold coffee that's left <laughs> probably sitting on my desk all day. That's funny. Uh, what's one tech jargon that makes you cringe? Uh, oh man, there's so many. I probably say lately it's just dog fooding. Like <laughs> I, 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 there's so many terms. Like just I wish people just said what it was instead of making up you know these these abstract terms for for whatever that they're trying to say so dog fooding is a one that's that bugs me these yeah, days yeah it's one that's picked up popularity in, in uh, recent uh, past so i kind of agree with you on that one um what's the best advice you've received so far in your career i get i guess it's kind of like on a on a philosophical level i would say uh, you know you, there's that uh, i guess proverb where you, you choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life mm -hmm. uh, i like that saying uh, but to be honest I, I think that's a bit easier said than done um, but um, I, I think from a practical standpoint, and I always tell this to people who will listen, um, you know, who will listen is to uh, is to work for a company that is based in the city or that you live in. Um, you know, for finance people, I, I think that's where you'll get most of the opportunities for development um, and advancement. So cool. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Well, thanks so much, Shovik. It's really been a pleasure uh, chatting with you, learning about the, the differences between the SMB and enterprise markets, learning a bit more about VersaPay, the company, what it's all about, uh, and, and some of the learnings that you took away from, you know, working across various industries and then moving into tech. And lastly, uh, the challenges and opportunities that you face uh, being a public company CFO versus that of a, a finance leader for a private company. So really enjoyed this chat. And thanks again for your time. Hey, thanks again, Shubham. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. What an amazing discussion with Shovik Roy, Chief Financial Officer at VersaPay. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.